The Calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Well, it is, it's lovely to be here and uh, sharing in uh, this conference again. It's a few years since I've been at the Africa conference, um, and it's a, it is a joy to be here. Uh, and I look forward to um, various conversations, uh, I was going to say with old friends, old faces, um, perhaps that's an unfair description, and also meeting new people, and learning what God's doing uh, across Africa through the CMS connections. Uh, we're going to be looking at scripture together, and we're going to be thinking particularly about uh, Matthew, and learning to follow, and, and trying to think a, a little bit about how Matthew learned to be a follower of Jesus and what that might mean for us. Uh, so we're going to have three se- sections today, 9, 9 to 17, where Matthew is called by Jesus. And then what did he learn from Jesus in the, in the next little period by looking at 9, 18 to 38? And then what was it like for Matthew to be sent out by Jesus? And that's looking at chapter 10. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your holy word together, we pray that your Holy Spirit who inspired its writing would help us to understand it, but more than that, help us, help us to apply it to our lives and equip us to live it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So, um, this is a very quick whiz. Um, we need the next slide. Uh, yeah, okay, thank you. So that's the, that's the three. Um, the picture, just so you know where that's got, that is Caravaggio's Call of St. Matthew, which you will find on a wall in the French church in Rome. 
It is an extraordinary painting, and that you're, you're going to keep seeing this picture uh, this evening, but sometimes some details of it. Um, uh, I, I, happened, I was in Rome for two weeks recently, and um, uh, that's, a, that's a thing that I don't think any... I never thought I would be the representative uh, for the Anglican Communion at a Roman Catholic gathering for two weeks. Um, I'm not sure there would... I'm sure there was a time when CMS probably would have thought that I shouldn't have been there. Um, and um, I, I, so I had the privilege of actually <laughs> staying about a minute from, where, from this uh, picture. So I went in to see it several times, and um, it helped uh, me uh, with the thinking around this. Um, I'm not going to go into explaining the art, uh, but it's just that's, that's what it is. So called by Jesus, learning from Jesus, sent out by Jesus. If we could have the next slide, please. That's today. Next one. Here's the quick background, just as a reminder. I am, going to, I am working from the assumption that Matthew uh, calls in chapter 9, also known as Levi, is the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, so that what we read, uh, is, uh, he was there for a lot of it, but not all of it, uh, because uh, we'll come to that in a moment. Um, but the Gospel that he wrote... Uh, begins with the genealogy, and then we have the birth narratives. Then we have, the, have, have Herod trying to get rid of the wise men coming, the flight into Egypt, and then Jesus returned to Nazareth. Then we have the, the, the story of John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. Then we go into the temptations and the beginning of the public ministry. At that point, we then have the call of the first disciples, followed by the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here, I, you can read all kinds of theories about how, uh, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Matthew put his gospel together. But one of the things that I, I think we do actually need to note carefully here is that Jesus begins his public ministry. He then calls disciples. We then have a block of teaching, called, which we now call the Sermon on the Mount. We then have another block of public ministry of Jesus, which is followed by a call to discipleship, and it's specifically Matthew and what happens around Matthew's call. And then we have more teaching, this time associated with being sent out, the, the 12 disciples being sent out. Now, I'm going to stop there, but actually you could see that pattern happen again through chapters 11, 12, and 13. So... Uh, Matthew is constantly trying to get through to us public ministry, call to discipleship, teaching uh, what it means to be disciples. Okay, next one, please. Now, let's think about Matthew's call. Uh, we better have the rest of the slide up, I think. Uh, there's probably a couple of clicks, Nick. A couple more. That's it. Thank you. In chapter 8... Verses one. So if you've got a Bible, you can follow. follow. In chapter 8, at the beginning, we have three miracles, three healings. They are, interestingly, because the very first healing recorded is, in Matthew is that of a leper, an outsider, an unclean person. Immediately followed by the centurion. The centurion's a Roman. He's a Gentile. He's an outsider. And then 
we have, they go to Peter's, uh, Peter's house and the mother-in-law is healed. Now, I'm not suggesting that mothers-in-law are outsiders. <laughs> Certainly not mine. Um, but there is, but, but she's, she's not important in social terms. She's a fisherman's, her son's a fisherman. There is something about these three first healings which Matthew records, which points us already to the fact that Jesus is committed to reaching those outside. And then, and it's all about fulfilment as well, if you look at 8.17. And then we have a bit about discipleship, 8.18. Now, when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. A scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Jesus is very clear that there is a real challenge to discipleship because discipleship challenges comfort, certainty and Questions of priority, even over family on occasions. He wants to make it clear that to follow him may involve a life where comfort is gone completely, where there is no certainty, and where nothing but the kingdom must come first. And then Matthew gives us three what you could call power acts that in all three instances, Matthew notes create awe. The first is the calming of the storm. And at the end of that, verse 27 of chapter 8, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? They marveled. They were in awe of what's happened. And then we have the healing of the two demoniacs in the country of the Gadarenes. Uh, only Matthew has two. In the other Gospels, it's one. Uh, but um, what happens at the end? Verse 34, Behold, all the city came out to meet, meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. He's had such an impression that actually they don't want him around. And then we have the healing of the paralytic who's lowered down through the roof, although Mark's the one who gives us all the glorious details. Matthew does it very kind of succinctly. But it's all about... The power, so the one is power over nature, the next is power over evil forces, and this one is power over sin and the power to forgive and restore. He stills a storm, he stills demons, and he stills sin. But this also leads to awe. When the crowd saw it, verse 8, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. They were afraid because of what they saw and heard in Jesus. And then we arrive at the call of Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me, and he rose up and followed him. Next slide, please. Uh, and another, okay, one more. Thank you. What Matthew doesn't tell us 
is what had happened before. But I think we can safely assume that he must have heard some of Jesus' teaching. We don't know what of Jesus' teaching he heard. We don't know where he heard it, but probably he had heard some. He may well have observed some of Jesus' healing. Perhaps he was around on the edge of things when Peter's mother-in-law was healed. We don't, we don't know. that We have to imagine ourselves into Matthew's story. One thing, I, one thing I think we can be sure of is that he had heard reports of Jesus. Because after all, he was in Capernaum and Jesus was operating in that area and the, the word was out about this teacher healer and all the things that were going on. So at the very least, he'd heard reports of Jesus. But I think it's likely that he had heard some of Jesus' teaching and observed some of Jesus' healing. And I want to remind us there at this, this that there is always a backstory to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There is always a backstory in which many factors lead to hearing Jesus' call. Of course, the call is not always so clear or the response so immediately radical as it is in Matthew's instance. But um, we do well to remember the backstory. Uh, and of course, uh, we, we're all guilty from time to time of forgetting or ignoring the backstory. So when I first came to faith in Christ as a teenager, um, it took me a very long time before I recognised that what had happened by being sent to Sunday school and attending a church school and the Bible stories that I'd heard and the songs that I'd learnt, the sisms, choruses that I'd sung and the, the confirmation preparation that I had had that led me to leaving church. <laughs> it took me years to recognise that actually that was part of the backstory of what God was doing in my life to bring me to the place but it took uh, uh, because because it was quite a, it was quite a, a radical turnaround for me, and therefore we w I wanted to write that off because I wanted to see it as all bad. And actually, now I look back and think, "Oh Lord, you were there all the time, <laughs> step by step by step." But in telling his own story, yeah. Matthew chooses not to tell any tell us anything about the background. And this, under the, under the Spirit's inspiration, of course, is a very deliberate decision. He chooses to highlight the immediacy and the radical nature of his response and the personal nature of his call. He could have told us more about the background, but he decides that's not what he's trying to get across. And now I, so I, would, I want to suggest that, that this is partly because he is actually deliberately picking up what he said in chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. And the, and, the, and the one who wanted to follow wherever you go but couldn't cope with the idea of not having somewhere to lay his head. And the one who wanted to follow him but first had to go and bury his father. And Jesus saying, follow me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. In his own call... Matthew is determined to add weight to the fact that the call of Jesus is utterly, utterly radical. 
And yes, there's a backstory, and yes, God's at work in it all, but when it comes down to it, you have to make a stark choice. And that's what Matthew's trying to get across to us as we read it. He's building on what he'd had in 8, 18 to 22. And if you run on, in my little thinking here, the next, little, the, the, um, the next radical bit of discipleship that we actually come across is at the end of chapter 12, um, where... His mother and brothers come to speak to him, and he replied to the man, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, Here are my mother and my brothers. That's the next radical bit of discipleship that he talks about. Because Matthew want, what had to get across that Jesus never partially calls people to be part-time disciples. It is a call to whole life discipleship which affects our attitude to and, our pra and practice with our possessions, with our personal comfort and security, with our family, with our work, with our friendships, everything. That's the, one of the things I think he's trying to get across to us. But he doesn't tell us very much. It's that suddenly, we're into a party. As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, um, and Luke makes it clear that it was Matthew's house that they were in. Uh, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees don't, can't get their head around it. Matthew is determined to make it clear to us as we read that Jesus calls sinners people like himself. Jesus calls those who know they need mercy, who know they need healing, who know they need to change. So Jesus makes it clear himself. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I have to confess that I am as guilty of this as anyone else. I think we are always in danger of picking and choosing who we think Jesus will call. We think it will be the well-educated. We think it will be those who are nice. Jesus always, has always been in the business of calling people who weren't very nice. But we still seem to have lost that lesson sometimes. And we need to re be re constantly reminded that Jesus is in the business of calling sinners. Not good people, not nice people, not those who think that they're all right, not those who think they understand religion, not those who think they're nice and ethical and moral and upstanding. Jesus calls sinners. And yet... If I'm brutally honest with what I see happening in most of my churches in the Diocese of Durham or what I saw in the Diocese of Sutherland Nottingham or the Diocese of Winchester or the Diocese of Chelmsford, all the different places I've served, and I've been guilty of this as well, I quite often have thought, oh, no, they'll never be interested. Nah, they're not the, they're not the kind of people. 
Jesus calls sinners, those on the outside, those who the world writes off. Matthew invited all his friends and colleagues because he wanted to offer them a chance to meet Jesus as he had done. That's what Matthew was about. He's now so excited by the transformation that he's begun to find in Jesus by deciding he's going to leave everything behind that he wants all his friends and all his mates, and perhaps some of them weren't his mates, but they were professional colleagues, to come and meet Jesus themselves and have a chance to meet this man for themselves so they could decide to do what he had done if they wished. We have to be in the business of inviting people to meet with Jesus. We've had a very interesting um, discussion uh, recently in, in, uh, in my in diocese. We're working on um, new vision and stuff, um, uh, and I highly commend Russ Parker's book. Uh, we've actually decided that, that our, the strap line for our, uh, that we're going to use for the next few years as a diocese is simply this, blessing our communities in Jesus' name. But that's what we're about as churches. We're about bringing God's blessing into our communities. And Russ's book um, has... We, we made that decision. Then I discovered Russ's book and thought, oh, this is great. This will help us even think, think it through further. Um, but we've, we've had an interesting discussion about how, to, how do we define discipleship. Um, and um, the, 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 uh, the simple thing is, uh, that we've come up with is being with Jesus. It's, it's nothing new. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus... And we had bringing others to Jesus. And uh, one or two of my colleagues had slight problems with the third one. And uh, they were not being silly. They were actually pointing out that none of us can actually bring people to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit does that. But we can be like Matthew and we can invite people to come and meet him and learn about him and so on. Now, it might be being slightly pedantic about the language, but because I like the three B's. But they have the, 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 the point is, we are called, having been excited by Jesus ourselves, to, to invite other people to come and meet, to come and get to know him, so they can decide for themselves what they're going to do about this man. Now, verses 14 to 17 are amongst those that um, quite often people kind of think, well, how come, why, why is that in there? Actually, I think 9 to 17 is meant to be taken as one block. And um, uh, I regularly have beefs with um, paragraph headings in Bibles because they, they, they and I have even more beef sometimes with chapter um, breaks because as you know, because sometimes we, it means we stop and we lose the flow of what's going on. Um, and it, verses 14 to 17 are so much in the context of what's going on in Matthew's house. It's a party that's going on. And the Pharisees, but also now John's disciples are struggling with Jesus being a party person and allowing his disciples to be party people. And Jesus finishes with this whole thing about new wine and new wineskins. He's, he's getting across to, to, he's trying to get across them anyway, that the, as the kingdom comes in him, 
It cannot be the old ways with a bit of newness tacked on. Jesus actually brings a whole new thing. He brings in the kingdom of heaven. And you can't have old, uh, the old with a new bit tacked on. That doesn't work for the new wine. And, that, and um, he's trying to get that lesson across to them. But there's something else in this, which um, I, I owe to, to uh, J.C. Ryle and his reflections on this. Which is reflecting on the fact that Jesus says, while the, while the bridegroom's here, they need to party. But there will come a point where the bridegroom won't be here and then, then they will learn more about discipline and fasting. And Ryle suggests, and I think he's right, that one of the things Jesus is trying to get across here is new disciples are not yet ready to face the tough period that will come. And that actually here Jesus is saying, these are, this is, this is brand new. Matthew's only just begun. So, of course he can party. And I, what I'm telling you folks is that one day Matthew's going to find it's a whole lot tougher. But for now, I'm quite happy to work with him gently partying so that one day he is ready to deal with the bridegroom not being there. Jesus offers the party to start with, but they will increasingly learn that tough times lie ahead. And certainly the whole of Matthew's gospel is making it very clear that discipleship can be tough. And I think Ryle's, Ryle's uh, very helpful on that because um, why is it that when someone first comes to faith, all their prayers seem to be answered and mine aren't? Or at least mine aren't answered in the way I'd like them to be. There is something, I think, about um, how when people first come to faith, we need to treat them with gentleness and help and not lay too heavy burdens on too quickly. Didn't Jesus have a few words to say to the Pharisees about laying burdens on that even they, they couldn't handle? And in, in the growth of discipleship, there is a journey which may well begin with partying and huge joy and excitement, but there will always come times in the journey of discipleship where it feels like the bridegroom is gone. It feels like all the joy has disappeared. It feels like only fasting going on. That's part and parcel of what discipleship can be like. We're no less disciples at those times just because we don't feel quite so joyful. Indeed, we might be demonstrating more faithfulness at those points. So, to conclude for this evening, Matthew is called personally and called by name. Oh, sorry, I've forgotten to turn on the slides. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going, <laughs> keep going. And another one. Right, okay. He is called by name, personally. 
This I do love in the, in the paintings. There he is. Me? You mean me? Yes, Jesus calls us by name, personally. Next, he calls us to give all of ourselves. That's what Matthew was getting across. When I came, when, when, if you imagine Matthew saying it, when I came to realize that Jesus was calling me, I knew it had to be everything. And for him, that meant getting up and leaving it all. It will mean different, it will be expressed differently for different people. But it had to be all. He knew he was called by mercy. It was God's mercy that reached out to him, and it's always God's mercy that reaches out. And he knew, lastly, that he was called to learn and grow. And that's what we'll look at tomorrow. How did Matthew begin to learn and grow as he followed Jesus? Let's be quiet and still.